chapter 6. If you are there, would you turn your attention to verse 15. Then these men approached the king and said, King, know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace, and he spent the night fasting, and no musician were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose early in the morning, and he went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with, lamenting, with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continuously, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions, shut the, the lion's mouth so that they had not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done nothing wrong before you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we bless you for all that our hearts have felt and our ears have heard. Lord, I just want to thank you for the musicians that you've given to this church. Lord, I thank you for their dedication. I thank you, O oh God, for their heart to serve. God, I thank you for the growth that we have witnessed in their hands and their creativity. And I especially want to just lift up Brother Warren right now. God, I just thank you for him and all that you're doing in his life. Thank you for Brother Dontre. God, we thank you for encounter and the excellence in which they serve. And Father, I'm so grateful to be a part of what you are doing. Bless your name, for you are worthy. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I've been enjoying the musicians, especially uh, Brother Warren, as he is uh, just becoming more and more excellent at his craft. It's becoming a craft. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Many of you have heard the expression, the ball is in your court. When someone says that the ball is in your court, what they mean is that it's your turn to make the next move. Unless you make the next move, the project, the problem, or the situation that you find yourself in will not progress. It will not go to the next step. What should happen will not happen. 
when the ball is in your court, it is necessary for you to do your part. You need to come through. When a man and a woman stand before the altar and, and before God and an assembly that is gathered and they exchange vows one to another, the man says, for better or worse, through richer or poor, etc., and the woman ex, uh, repeats the same. Both are saying in, 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 that this is a mutual commitment, and as far as it relies on me, the ball is in my court to keep my vow, and the ball is in your court to keep your vow, and we are depending on each other to take the next step to do what we have promised as we have stood before the Lord. When you have prepared for that job interview and you kill it and you're hired, you sign the document, what you are saying to your now employer that the part of my responsibility where the ball is in my court as it relates to my job description, you can count on me to fulfill the next thing. And also, your job is saying to you that what we have promised, what we have committed to, the ball that is in our court, we will move it to the next step. We will keep our commitment. Some of you have made plans to travel with family and friends, and you make all the arrangements and the down payment that you are required to pay, and now the ball is in the court of your family and friends. But nobody's answering text or phone calls. Uh, what has happened is that the ball is in their court, but it is not able to move to the next thing, and now your money's tied up and you're feeling some kind of way. Have you noticed that it is often those who are closest to us that let us down when the next step is left to them? God's word reminds us in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 22, stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils, why hold them in esteem? Why hold them in a higher elevation or significance and, and importance than God? Aren't you glad that whenever you put the ball in God's court, he never fumbles it. He never fails. Every promise that he makes is yes and amen. The apostle Paul said it like this. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, we are confident and even we are confident that he who began a good work in us will accomplish it and bring it to full completion until the day of Christ, until we're glorified, until we're fully redeemed. We can be confident that when you put the ball, when you give your, your problems and your situations, your stresses to God, he will always keep his side of what is required. Paul also says in that same chapter, after he said he's confident that God will work out 
what he's worked in until the day of Christ, he says, but we must, we must work out our own soul salvation in fear and in trembling. So on the one hand, God will work out what he's put in, but in order for us to get out what God has put in, we have to do something. The ball is also in our courts as well. So when you say, you hear somebody say, let go and let God. No, no, no. Hold on to God while you're letting God. Because it's 100% God. And it's also 100% us when it comes to fulfilling what God has given as conditions for his blessing. Somebody say amen. In Daniel chapter 6, we discover how to put the ball in God's court, how to cast our cares on him, and to trust God, to trust God. And I hear people say, I'm trying. I'm Stop trying. Trust God to do what he has promised to do. Listen to what is recorded in verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, had been finalized, he went home to his upstairs room where, his window, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Say that with me, just as he had done before. Daniel did his part. Now the rest was up to God. It was in, his situation was now in the hands of God. There are just three things that I want to share with you from the word of God today regarding how you can let go of things that keep you up at night. How you can learn to move to that next level of spiritual growth in Christ. How you can fully operate in confidence in the middle of your storm. You can actually put your problems at the foot of Christ because when the ball is in his court, he can do exactly what he has promised. For things that are impossible with man shall not be impossible with God. The first thing that we need to do to move past the barriers that prevent us from, from experiencing the peace of God in the midst of our conflict is to obey what you know. It, obey what you already know. You need to obey what you already know. Secondly, you need to expect opposition. Expect opposition. When you obey with you, what you know, expect opposition. And finally, we're going to see that we need to seize the opportunity when tested. And so when I obey what I know, I will be opposed. But in the midst of my opposition, in the midst of the attack, I need to see it as an opportunity, not as an indication that God has somehow failed me. Obey what you know. When we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 6, this is a very dark and desolate time in the history of the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Jacob. They had been, the northern tribes 
had been taken into captivity some 120 years earlier by the Assyrians. And because the tribe of Judah, we learn in Jeremiah chapter 1 that God, through Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, brought about divine chastisement on the nation, not because Babylon, though the greatest empire at that time, had more strength than Israel, because if God be for us, who can effectively stand against us? Disobedience caused God to release judgment. And so now, the Jerusalem and uh, the, the tribe of Judah have been taken captive, and a part of the cap captives that have ended up in Babylon are none other than Daniel and his three friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. <laughs> now, chapter 6 brings us to the last chapter in the life of the prophet Daniel. He is in his 80s. He has served for some 69 years under three separate regimes. First under Nebuchadnezzar, the one who had taken the treasured items out of the temple of Solomon when he desecrated it, and he took the items out of the house of God to Babylon and placed them in the house of his God. Now that Nebuchadnezzar is off the scene, when we come to chapter 4, we have the great-grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar. He is the one who took those same temple items from the uh, Solomon's uh, uh, temple out of the household, out of the gods of uh, the Babylonians and decided to drink with them. And while they were drinking from these chalets, a hand without a hand, a, a hand without an arm, began to write on the wall. Daniel was one of the highest level leaders living in the palace under Belshazzar. And on that night when Belshazzar, the empire of Babylon, fell, just as the prophet Daniel had predicted in chapter 2 of Daniel, the Medes and the Persians had surrounded the city, and Belshazzar and the Babylonians were overconfident because of the impregnable walls that were built. When you do archaeological study of the walls of, uh, of, 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 of Babylon, the walls were so, so thick and so wide they didn't fear ever being conquered. But someone informed the Medes and the Persians how to go underground through the, through the uh, irrigation system. And that night, as Daniel had predicted, your days are numbered, and God has found you wanting. And so the Medes and the Persians, they take over, and they become the greatest world empire. And Daniel, this aged servant of God, is now a leader in the, in the palace under Darius, who's also called Cyrus, and in other places in the Bible he is referred to as Artaxerxes, who is the ruler of the Medes and the Persians. And so this is a dark time, but the good news is that in the book of Jeremiah, the prophecy was that after 70 years that God would stir the heart of the king and allow the children of Israel to go back to Jerusalem from their dispersion. And so we're coming to that period of time 
in the book of Daniel. We're coming to that 70th year when Nehemiah and Ezra and, Hez and, and uh, um, some of the other contemporary Haggai, the other uh, contemporary uh, prophets, the minor prophets, they live and they go back because of the prophecy that God has made. But, but the point that I'm trying to make now is that this man named Daniel is living in captivity. But even though as a teenager he was separated from his parents and his friends and his familiar surroundings, what, he, what never occurred in the life of Daniel is that he experienced separation from God. Daniel continued to trust in God. He continued to place his burdens in the hand of the Lord. He continued to believe that if you put the ball in God's court, that you would not have to worry. And so I want to, again, go back to how it was possible for someone to do that during a very difficult time. Well, what did Daniel know? Obey what you know. What did he know? One of the things that he knew from chapter 1, Daniel knew that his body was a temple of, the, of God. And he, the Bible said, he purposed in his heart in verse 8 of Daniel chapter 1, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself with these items. And so he's in the king's palace. He's a part of the king's court. He's being trained. And one of the requirements is not only do you have to learn the language of the Chaldeans and, and the religion, et cetera, get your name changed and so forth, you have to eat the wine. You have to drink the wine and eat the food. And Daniel, understanding that his body belonged to the Lord, decided that he would not allow his body to be defiled. We know in the New Testament, the Bible says that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you. And if any man defiles the temple of God, that temple will God destroy. And there's some things that we should not do with the bodies, with this temple. In fact, the Scripture says... Uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you what? Present your temple, your body, as a living sacrifice, holy. And so one of the things that Daniel knew is that this body, this breathing, living, heart-pumping body belongs to God, and I will do nothing to defile it. Now, what makes that so important as we move on to some of the other things that Daniel knew, because he didn't have a Bible like we did, and he's living in a foreign country. He doesn't get to go to church where, where the word is preached on a regular basis, but his parents had taught him so well that there were things that he knew. And often we're waiting for a new revelation, and we're asking God to help us to do, help us to forgive, help us not to be afraid. He's already helped you. Show me in the word what you want to do. What you, just read the Bible, and he'll tell you. Be anxious for nothing but in all things by prayer. It's already here. And so don't ask God for more revelation when you haven't obeyed the revelation you already know. Do what you already know. We're waiting to feel good about it, but God said to Cain, Cain, if you do right, you'll feel right. So Daniel knew that there are things that were not acceptable to God, and so he would not eat and he would not drink. There's some things that we should not eat or drink, not necessarily because they're offered to idols or they're necessarily wrong, but the Bible says if my drinking or eating will offend a weaker brother, cause him not to see Jesus, 
That while knowledge puffs up, love edifies, I will restrain myself by allowing another person's hang-ups to become my hold-up because I want to honor Christ because Christ died for the weaker brother or sister. So I'm not going to crack open a can of Bud Light just before I preach. Somebody say amen. Amen. Daniel also knew to pray daily. One of the things that you see consistently in the ministry, in the life of Daniel during this dark time, he was one who we know from the New Testament, the scripture says, pray without ceasing. In all things, give thanks as we pray, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. Christ said men ought to always pray, lest we faint. Daniel was a person in the Old Testament separated from all of the influences that would have said this is what he should do, but he kept on praying. He knew to pray. The Talmud, which is the book that the rabbis use to this day, while there are ten Ten Commandments, the Talmud of the Jews, they had like 633 interpretations of the commandments. And so this is when Jesus said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? These people draw nigh unto me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, teaching as a commandment the traditions of men. So the Talmud was one of those books that the rabbis used, which is the traditions of men. And if you go to a Jewish synagogue, they're not teaching from the Bible, they're teaching from the teachings of the rabbis, the Talmud. And so one of the things that the Talmud taught, and it was written during the time of the Babylonian captivity, was that when the Jews were in the diaspora, or when they were scattered around the world, as it was predicted in Jeremiah chapter 1, that they would, be dis- they would disperse and be taken away from their country, they were taught that when they were away in a foreign country, they should pray toward facing Jerusalem, turn wherever Jerusalem was, no matter what country they were in, even today, Jews do this, they turn in the direction of Israel. And the Talmud taught that if you were in Israel, you should turn towards Jerusalem, the holy city of David. And so whenever they pray, if you're in a foreign country, you're paying towards Israel. If you're in Israel and you can't get to the temple, you pray towards Jerusalem. If you're in Jerusalem, but you can't get, if you're in Jerusalem, you pray towards the temple. And if you're in the temple, but you can't get the holiest of holies, you pray towards the holiest of holies. And so they were taught by tradition to pray towards Israel, to pray towards Jerusalem, pray in the direction of the temple, pray in the direction of the holiest of holies. But I like what, the, what Solomon did after the temple, the house of God, was finally built. And it's a wonderful, powerful experience when you get an opportunity to go to 1 Chronicles uh, uh, chapter 7, I believe. And, and, and the priests and the Levites, they attempted to enter into the place that they had built with, for God. And the scripture says that the presence of God was so powerful. The Shagana glory just was so magnificent and overwhelming that the, temp, that the priests and the Levites and everyone who tried to get in fell on their faces. They could not enter in. And following this experience, Solomon prayed this prayer. He says, when they sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin, And you become angry with them and deliver them to their enemies, Babylon. And they take them captive to a land of their enemies, 
far and near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, Babylon, we have and saying we have sinned and done wrong. We have we have committed sin. And when they return to you with all their hearts and with all their souls in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you what towards the land which you gave them gave to their fathers the city which you have chosen and the temple which you have built for their for your name then hear in heaven your dwelling place their prayers and their supplications so solomon said lord there's going to come a time when your people rebel against you but when they come to their senses no matter where they have been taken by the enemy and they turn their faces towards Israel. And they think about the temple where the holiest of holies dwell, where you dwell. And they call on your name and ask you to forgive them because they've sinned. He said, hear them when they pray. Solomon knew that he should pray on a daily basis facing Jerusalem. Do you pray on a daily basis? Do you have a time set apart? where you spend time alone communicating with God. Daniel also knew how to touch and agree through intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is when you pray with others or pray for others by yourself. In this case, when there was a need to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream that none of the false prophets, the astrologers and the magicians, none of them could figure out what the king had dreamt, and he said, if somebody doesn't tell me what I dreamt, not only am I going to fire you because you're fake, everybody that's a part of this ministry is going to die. They were coming to gather up Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego so that they too could be executed. And then Daniel said, well, what is the king upset about? And, and the person picking that came to get Daniel and his friend said, well, the king had a dream that kept him up all night. Daniel said, let me talk to the king so that I can interpret his dream. But before he talked to the king, he asked for Meshach, Shadrach, and Bingo. He said, look, we got to pray. We, got to, we, we need some intercessory prayer. We need God to hear us. You ought to have some people in the church, people in your life, that when crises come up, when dark times are in your life, when you just need to get through to heaven, there ought to be some folks in the church that you can call in the midnight hour and say, we need to go before the Lord right now. Daniel knew how to touch and agree. Daniel knew that God answered prayers according to his will. In verse 20 of chapter 2, he said, I thank you and praise you, God, of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. He knew that we don't just go to prayer because it's that time of the service. We understand if we call on him, he will answer us and he will show us great and mighty things which we know not. The Bible says the reason you have not is because we haven't asked. Prayer works because the God of the universe turns his ear towards his children when we cry out. And the Bible says he delivers us. Out of all of our troubles. Daniel knew that. Do what you know. 
don't know which way to turn and what to say. You always know to call on your brothers and sisters who know how to get through to Jesus. Daniel knew to thank God for answering prayer. Sometimes God can't bless us with the next thing because we're like the ten lepers. Ten got healed, but only one returned to say thank you. And Jesus said, where are the nine? And so when Daniel's prayer was answered, he said, I thank and praise you, God. God of my ancestors, you have given wisdom. You have given wisdom. You have made known. We need to learn how to give thanks to God for what he's already done. I don't know how many times I prayed before, and every time before I even come out to preach, I'm praying and asking God, give me clarity, give me, give me the authority of the word that comes with it. May, may your people's lives be changed. And then I always have to remember, remember to say thank you. Now, I'm not by myself. God answers, and we, we need to learn. So he knew, he knew to say thank you. Daniel also knew to give God the glory. When Daniel stood before Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar asked, oh, you have the ability to interpret dreams. And Daniel responds, no wise man, encanter, magician, diviner can explain the kings, to the king the mystery he asked about. But listen, they said, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Daniel didn't take the credit. He understood every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of light. In him, there's no variation. There's no changing. And so whatever I have, whatever I'm capable of doing, it's not because of my might or my power, but it's because of the Lord. He has given you the ability to do whatever. And whenever we get an opportunity, somebody, you ought to accept somebody giving you, giving you uh, recognizing what you do. Don't be like the sister who was singing and everybody just cried and they were just so blessed. And after the service, they said, well, sister, the song you sang was amazing. Uh, I've never hear, heard anyone sing so well. And I know that you've done a lot of training, et cetera. And she said, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And the woman said, I could have sworn I saw your lips moving. <laughs> it's okay to say thank you for a compliment as long as you know ultimately the credit belongs to him. Daniel said, there's a God in Israel. There's a God in America who sits high and he looks low and he's just waiting for an opportunity to blow our minds with what he's capable of doing. Daniel also knew that his gifts would make room for him. You don't have to try to uh, uh, force your way into a ministry and I've learned the hard way, you don't create ministry. God creates and births ministry in the church. People come, well, you know, Pastor, every time I come to church on Sunday, it's just something that's, and they tell you exactly what's missing. I said, maybe God has burned you with that because he wants you to do what nobody else has already done. And so what happens, Daniel was the only one who was capable of interpreting the dream. He was home sleeping, minding his own business. But when the time is right, God will open up a way for you to serve with the gifts that he has given you. The question is, are you available? Are you willing to serve? 
Are you willing to give value for what God has gifted you to do? It may not be preaching like Paul or singing like angels. You know how they used to say But if you can just talk about the love of Jesus, if you could just say a kind word, if you could just be willing to serve in the background and have nobody give recognition to you, your gifts, your gifts. I remember a time when I wasn't being asked to preach at the church and it was intentional, not because of anything I had done. And we, that, that's a whole nother sermon. But what I found is that I preached more that summer than I had ever preached in previous summers because what God will do when you're being obedient, he'll make room for you. He'll make room for you. Oh, they won't let me. They can't. I was preaching long before I ever got behind the pulpit. This pulpit ain't the only place I preach. Well, I was a pastor. I was talking to someone about pastoring, and he said, I said, well, how many members do you have? He said, two. I said, you don't have a church. You have a Bible study. And I, he didn't say anything, but I, I think he took offense to it. That, that's not a church. Sometimes we want to be called pastor. In order to be called a pastor, you got to have a church. And if you have two people, oh, two or three gather my name. That ain't a church. He said, I'm in the midst. So if you have in, in a radius of two miles, 69 churches, something's wrong when the community around those churches isn't improving. Because Jesus said, when the Holy Ghost has come, I will give you power and you shall be my witnesses. And when the witness goes forth, Paul says, this witness, this gospel, I'm not ashamed of it because it is the power. It is the dunamis of God. When people receive the gospel, they become brand Something happens. He knew that his gifts would make room for him. Daniel also knew to declare the word of God even when it wasn't popular. When you get a chance, in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, there was a prophecy. He had a dream about a tree, another weird dream. You go back to chapter 2, that's a prophetic scripture about the four most dominant empires that would ever live. And we're in the last phase of those four uh, major, uh, uh, um, these major empires. But now he has another dream. And at the end of the dream, the tree that he sees is cut down. And he said, Daniel, you who faithfully follow God and who believes in God, what was the vision about? And then Daniel said, oh, king, live forever. I wish this dream was about someone other than you. But let me tell you what's biblically correct. This is not going to be politically correct. You're not going to like what I'm going to say. It's not going to tickle your ears. It won't make me popular with you. King, that tree that was cut down was you. Because it was God who had made you great. But if you don't humble yourself for seven years, you will be cast out from your throne into the wilderness and you will live like a wild, insane beast. You'll have the claws of an animal and you'll have hair like a wild boar. And the next day, the Bible says the king was walking upon the porch of his palace and he began to look over his expansive 
empire, and he says, oh, great never, before he could get the words out of his mouth, God took his mind. And for seven years, he ate grass, <laughs> and he lived among the wild animals. And the Bible says, in the seventh year, I looked up. <laughs> and I, that's the conversion of a, of a celebrity. He looked up, and God restored him. But that some, what Daniel knew is that even when it's unpopular, you have to stand on the word of God. You have to declare the word of God. That's how you put it in God's court. You do what God says based on what you already know. Contend for the word. The word will never return void, but it will always accomplish what he pleased. Stand on the word. Daniel knew that the word worked. Not only should you declare it when it's not politically correct, but it works. When you go through the book of Daniel, it's an absolute excellent book to study. You keep seeing this adjectival phrase, and it came to pass. And after this. The after this and when it came to pass followed, and God said, and then the next thing he said, and it came to pass. The word of God works when we share it, when we apply it. It actually does what he says it will do. Daniel knew enough to stand and to obey because the word of God comes to pass. You've got authority and, a pow and power based on using this word. The devil don't care about what you have to say. That's why when you start talking about deliverance and change, and you get up here and you and I ain't going to ever lie again. You just lie. And I'm going to stop cheating and I'm going to stop this. And the devil, so he's taking, he's taking notes. The devil doesn't know your thoughts. The devil is not omnipresent. The only reason he knows your thought patterns is because he's been, he's been studying you. He has a strategy and methodology based on your portfolio. But too often, we're giving the devil a strategy for us by declaring what we aren't going to do. But when you start praying back to God his word about your sin, the devil can't come against his word because the word has authority to cause the devil to flee. That's why we need to know this word. We need to go through this scripture and find some great prayers on the stuff that you're going through. And when you're on your knees talking to God, start praying right from the scriptures. And watch God's word works for you. And it came to pass. And after this, Daniel also knew that he did not need to seek power and prestige. You keep coming back to that. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. He says, he changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and he raises up others. It is God who gives might. It is God who gives prestige. It is God who gives power. We don't have to nudge our way into influence our authority, God does that. He knew. He knew. We need to do what we know. Once you've done what you know, the rest is, is, is up to God. The problem is we wait, Lord, if you would just show me. He parted the Red Sea with Moses, and I'm standing before the Red Sea, but there's a boat right there for you to get in to cross it. Lord, would he just, well, no, he don't need to part it. Just get in the boat and go over the other side. Lord, I want to see my family. I don't know how I want to do it. I can't drive the long distances I used to drive. Well, you got money in the bank, make a plane reservation. Well, God said, low, I am with you always. He didn't say, hi. <laughs> you afraid to get on a plane? In Jesus' name. 
Just heard where a man was in his car on Route 95. Somebody shot the man and killed him. God, the, the days of your life are in his hands. Some of us know the story of John F. Kennedy Jr., how he and his fiancée, or I believe it was his wife, they were flying to Martha Vineyard, Martha's Vineyard in a Cessna jet. He was a new pilot, and they were flying, and it was overcast that night, and uh, he had flown to Martha's Vineyard before, but on this night, you could not see the shoreline. And so now you have to depend on what you know, not how you feel, not how you think. But as he was making his way to where he thought he should descend the plane, he ended up crashing the plane and dying, he and his wife, in the ocean, in the Atlantic Ocean, the ship crashed into the Atlantic Ocean. And, and, so the, and so the investigators began to try to rule out what possibly caused this plane to crash. The first thing that they looked at was mechanical failure. Had something on the plane been designed improperly? Had something on the plane not worked the way it was supposed to work? And they ruled that out. It was not mechanical failure. And, and then they, did, then they did researched, was it weather conditions that had caused the plane to crash? And yes, it was overcast, but it wasn't storming. It was a mild night. The shoreline couldn't be seen. So they ruled out weather-related causes. And then finally, they concluded that it was human error. When John F. Kennedy Jr. could not see the shoreline, he began to panic and became confused and experienced what pilots call vertical in the air. And when you experience in vertical, it, vertica, vertical, vertigo, amen, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus, all of those, <laughs> you will think that you are ascending when you are descending, and you will think that you are descending when you're actually elevating. So in the mind of John F.K. Uh, Jr., uh, he thought the plane was ascending. In fact, the, 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 the control panel was saying something entirely different from what he was feeling because of vertigo. And so what, what ends up happening when he trusted his feelings, rather than what he knew, that when you can't see the shoreline, you trust the control panel. I want you to understand that when you have studied the word of God, Jesus said, I will bring to your remembrance the things that you've already learned. Sometimes you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but if you would just stick with the control panel and you would simply do what you already know, God is on the other side to bring you to a place of safety. Do what you know. You're waiting for other people. Do what you know. That's how you grow you, until you obey. You want to do trigonometry and algebra in the spirit realm. You haven't even learned your ABCs. You don't even know what a pencil is. Mm-hmm. Amen. Praise the Lord. Do what you know. You also need to expect opposition. This is what really wrecks us as Christians. You've been struggling with the same situations for years. And somehow you thought that when you got saved, that all that debt you accumulated, 
You apply, by his stripes you're healed, not your finances. That's salvation. But your money woes, you won't have to do something about that because you're saved. You are going to be opposed. Everybody's not going to like you. You are not everybody's cup of tea, and everybody is not your cup of tea. That doesn't make them wrong or right. God made us different. We have different interests. We have different personalities, different temperaments. That's why the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, tolerate. The word tolerance doesn't mean just get along, go along, get along. It means to accept others the way God has made them. We are all unique. We are all different. If God wanted you and I to be the same, he would, not have, he would not have made you unique. He would have made you a carbon copy. We all want to fit in. We all want to be liked. We all want to get invited. But some places you don't need to go. Some things you will not be interested in because God has made you different. Daniel faced different types of opposition. And Jesus said, while you are in the world, you are going to have trials. It's a hard-knock life. Christians, it's not going to be a, a flowery bed of ease. The church that grows is a persecuted church. Christians that grow are going to grow because we have been obedient to God in the fiery furnace. Somebody say amen. One of the oppositions that Daniel faced was the word hateration. I just made that one up. You're going to have enemies when you obey God. Dan, now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over all of the whole kingdom. And this, the at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds to charge for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs but they were unable to do so. They hated him because of the favor of God on Daniel's life. What did Cain do but be obedient to God? What did Abel do? Abel obeyed God when he offered up his, his, the best of his first fruit. Cain killed him. People will have a spirit of Cain against you just because God is blessing you, because you, are, you have changed. You, you aren't doing with them what you used to do. You aren't gossiping at the water cooler anymore. You're talking about going to church and not to the club. You're not signing off on people's sinful behaviors. And now you're, you're part of, there's a lot of hateration. Daniel was hated because he was in the will of God and walking in obedience. So will you be if you're obedient to the Lord. So he also faced intimidation. The scripture says when he learned that the king had signed the edict that whoever prayed to any other god except him, that they would be so thrown into the lion's den. That's intimidation. That's when the, when the devil comes against your courage. When the devil wants you to be afraid if you talk about Jesus, 
When you, when you hear the various things at work and people are talking about uh, uh, the, the, uh, homosexuality and, and you're supposed to sign off on it, or people talking about abortion, you're supposed to sign off on it. And as a believer, we just keep silent because we want to keep the peace. God has not called us to go along with the flow. He says you're in the world, but not to be of the world. We are light. We are salt. We have to stand for the truth. And it doesn't matter who's lying. We are on the side. Let God be true and every man a liar. And so don't allow the devil, while you're doing the part that God has shown you to do, to intimidate you. Don't shrink back. Don't run from the challenge. Don't run. From, it's real interesting about David's mighty men. One of his mighty men was Abijah. And, and on, the Bible said on a snowy day, he went into a pit not running from the lion. He ran after the lion. God wants us to have the kind of courage that if he says, go after the lion, David said, I'm not worried about Goliath because God has demonstrated in my past experiences of trusting him. I should have been intimidated by the bear and the lion, but with my own hands and the strength of God. Too many of us are easily intimidated the church of God has the spirit of God. We should not be intimidated. One of the things that also is going to come against us when it's time to put things into God's hands and to leave it to him is that we're going to be isolated. You're not going to get a 21-gun salute. People aren't going to come to your aid to encourage you just to be obedient. And so now Daniel has to make this decision. He has to make the decision even though he's in isolation. But here's the hardest one. Here's the hardest form of, ice, of opposition that you're going to face. It's false expectation. We expect God when we obey what we know. When we do what God says, we expect God to deliver us from the lion's den, not out of it. We're okay as long as we're praying and the pink slip doesn't come our way. We're cool. God is not going to let me get fired. God is not going to let me go to the lion's den. God's going to save my marriage. God's going to heal my child. God's going to make things better for my bill situation, but they don't get better. Daniel was not delivered from the lion's den. He was delivered out of it. And so you need to understand that the will of God is not always for you to avoid the lion's den. Sometimes you'll go right into the lion's den. And as you're going through it, the, he, what the Lord said, he said, I am with you in your valley of, of the shadow of death. You're not alone. And so this expectation that now I'm saved, and because I'm saved, I'm not going to go through. Yes, you are. Because while you're in the world, Peter said, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked when you experience diverse trials. But the good news is this, that he has overcome the world, and greater is he who is in you. I know this ain't the kind of preaching we like. False expectations. You are going to experience difficulties in your life. Your children, when they become teenagers, for the most part, they are going to challenge you. Something happens to their brain. And that little child that you're rocking in your arms right now will stand right in your face. 
and tell you they're going to call the Department of Human Services <laughs> if you hit them. And so as you are hitting them, you need to be dialing 911 for them. But false expectations, just because you're saying, that doesn't mean that everybody that is smiling right now isn't going through hell in their marriages or going through difficulties in their home, that every child is obedient and, and walking with God. The devil is a liar. You will go through. You heard about the little caterpillar that was trying to break through the cocoon, and a boy saw the, cocoon, the, the, uh, the, the caterpillar trying to get through the cocoon, and he goes out and says, is this struggling too long? And so he cuts the cocoon, and he, in, in his effort to help what would ultimately become a butterfly, he, he, he shortened the process. He made it easier. But when he came back later, it was a full-grown butterfly, but, the, but instead of the butterfly flying, the butterfly was crawling. And so he said, Dad, why is the butterfly not flying? He said, well, tell me what you did. Well, I cut the cocoon open. He said, well, by cutting the cocoon open, by not allowing the butterfly to go through the struggle, its wings will never be strong enough so that it would fly the way God intended it to fly. The struggle is what God is using to make you stronger. He said, count it all joy. Count it all joy. When you are experience diverse testing for the testing of your faith, work of patience, but let patience have his perfect work so that you will be lacking in nothing. Now, how do you do this? Let's go through this real quickly. How do you do this? You need to seize the opportunity in the midst of your opposition. Say, be bold. After Daniel found out that there was a law against prayer, he went to his house, and he didn't go to a secret place. He said, the Bible says he went to the place in his house where the window was open. He didn't shrink. He didn't flee. He didn't tone it down. He became bolder. It's easy to pray when there's no persecution. It's easy to pray when people are clapping their hands. But can you pray when you know that you're facing the lion's den? So when the enemy comes in like a flood, when the devil's trying to back you up against the wall, I understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but again, I understand all that. But God has given you weapons, and he says, put on. Put on the whole armor so that you can fight, not retreat. In Acts chapter 2, when the disciples were told, we don't care about miracles. We don't care if you go to church and have great praise and worship just on preaching his name. And the church came together, and the Bible says they prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders. When's the last time you asked God to give you the boldness to perform signs and wonders for people to be healed and delivered and set free? 
After they prayed, the Bible says that the place where they were was shaken and it was, all fill, it was filled with smoke and God gave them a spirit of boldness. When's the last time you asked God to be bold? As you encounter people, do people even know that you're a Christian? He, be, he went to the place where the window was open. I want everybody to know who I pray to. Now, he didn't do like some folk. Find the, I asked somebody to pray for me one time, and we were leaving the church, and they stood in the entrance of the church. In the name of Jesus, we have to. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. That's not what Daniel was doing. Remain faithful to your assignment to God. The Bible says just as he had done before, he kept praying three times a day. I don't know why he prayed that many times or in that place, but that was his assignment he believed God gave him. And so when you want to turn something over to God, continue to be faithful. Continue to do what God has already told you to do. Ask God for help, but accept his will. When the men came to take Daniel to the lion's den, he didn't start cussing them out. He didn't have a secret a stash in his deposit so he could go to another country and avoid prosecution. He went in full cooperation knowing that he may never see the light of day. Pray that God will deliver you but accept his will. Pray for healing. But accept that God may choose to make you whole. That God may choose to take you to heaven. By the way, heaven is not a bad place. <laughs> Finally, trust God for the results. Say, trust God for the results. The scripture says that the king, when he found out it was Daniel who had not prayed, he said he was distressed. He did everything in his might to, pre to keep Daniel from going to the lion's den, but he couldn't violate his own law. Sometimes the, the greatest men with the most power, the most greatest ones, they can't help you out of your cancer. They can't help you out of your bad marriage. But I know someone who can. And so the king did what he could. And what's interesting, he, they, Daniel was placed in the lion's den. And the scripture says that the prince went, the king went to his palace in his bedroom. And while Daniel was comfortably resting in the lion's den, the king didn't get any sleep all night. The Lord can do what the king can't do. So the king gave orders, and he put him in the lion's den. And so what God does, when we put it in his hands, he will protect you. He will never allow you to be tempted above your able. He will protect you. He protected Daniel. The Bible says that he closed the mouths of the lions. What should have destroyed you has made you greater. What should have destroyed you has made you stronger. What should have destroyed you has now become your testimony. He will protect you. God gave Daniel peace in the lion's den. When the king came, he said, Daniel, are you alive? Did your, did, did your God save you? Did he protect you? And Daniel said, well, I, I can just see him wiping the sleep from his eyes, and stretching his arms out. He said, the Lord has sent an angel. God will give you peace. That's what the devil is coming against when he's attacking you through your children, when he's attacking you through whatever you're going through. But God said, I'll give you peace that passes all human comprehension if you cast your cares on me. Here's what God will also do. That person that's giving you hell and giving you, making you frustrated, keeping you up at night, God will punish your enemies. 
the very people that tried to get Daniel destroyed, the other leaders, the king said, throw them all into the lion's den. The scripture said before they even hit the bottom of the, of the pit, the lions devoured them. God will make your enemies your footstool. And then the scripture says that God prospered Daniel. God will prosper you. He will, he will prosper you in the midst of your troubles. He will bless you. He will cause you to be exalted. He will give you favor. And finally, even here's what happens when you turn it over to God. The king said, he made, the Bible said he sent out a new decree. Stand with me. That everyone across the face of his empire had to praise the God of Daniel. When we turn it over to the Lord and genuinely do it, God will get the praise, but you will have the peace. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. During the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, one of the things that they would do, farmers would train oxen, new young oxen, to, to hold the field with an older oxen by putting a yoke on the necks of both animals. And it was the older oxen that had the responsibility for training the younger oxen. The difference was that the weighted side of the yoke was on the side of the older oxen that was experienced. And all the new oxen had to do was stay yoked up. And as long as it was yoked up, it would accomplish the job that it was assigned to. And so when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, if you put the ball in my court, I'll carry the, I'll carry the heavy side of the yoke. So if you find yourself coming home with the same problem, the same pain, the same stress, the same anger, the same frustration, guess what side of the yoke you're on? You haven't given it to the Lord. What you need to understand is that the opposition is a part of the, the challenge that you're going to go through. But it's, don't look at it as opposition. Look at it as an opportunity to be bolder for the Lord. Look at it as an opportunity that you need to be faithful in the midst of the storm. Look at it as an opportunity for, you to, for God to prosper you. You're not supposed to succeed in this environment. But if God is for you. Remember, to give God the praise. Give God the praise. The ball is in God's court. He's got it. When you feel most tempted, when you feel most overwhelmed, when you feel like you can't go on anymore, that means that now it's in God's court. What you can't do, he can. Would you just trust him? He has never failed. Until you learn to trust him. When it's hardest, you will not grow, not deeply. Oh, you can quote a few Bible verses. You may be able to teach a class. But how do you respond to God in a storm? The ball is in his court. Walk in peace. And that's how you know. You've given it to God. Let's pray. Father.